Hello, everyone, and welcome to Finding Peaks. Uh, my name is Jason Friesma. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer at Peaks Recovery Centers here in Colorado Springs. And sitting with me, guest today, is uh, Lisa Smith, um, Family Recovery Coach with Reclaim and Recover. Uh, she joined us, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and, and we had just started kind of having some good conversation. And so I decided uh, I wanted to have Lisa back and um, dive into the, the shallow end of the pool and talk about shame in families. Um, before the show, we were just kind of talking about that this is a challenging topic. And I think mm -hmm. it's challenging because, um, well, obviously shame is difficult to talk yeah. about. And I think it would be helpful if I kind of start by talking about what shame is a little bit and, and then how I see it in the family and then maybe you could talk about how you see it in families too as you're coaching them. But um, just really quick, uh, shame, guilt, embarrassment, these, these words kind of get tossed around um, and intermixed quite a bit, but you know, clearly they're very different terms. And um, embarrassment is, uh, some people say things are embarrassing and, and really they're probably much more shameful or, or guilt-ridden, but embarrassing is just something kind of light that happens that people are gonna laugh off late, later, like leaving your fly down during a, a presentation or something, that's embarrassing. And guilt is feeling bad about something you have done and then shame is feeling bad about who you are, right? And everyone that I've ever talked to that has kids, for instance, has a I'm a bad mom or I'm a bad dad shame button. Yeah. And, um, and that shame button, um, I don't care how good a parent they are, everybody has it because they have moments where they feel like they could have shown up differently um, and that almost inevitably can lead to people feeling a great deal of shame um, is what I've noticed. And then it leads to all kinds of interesting behavior because shame also tells us um, to not talk about it, right? To keep, keep this a secret or hide it or if people knew that I was feeling so shameful, they wouldn't want to be in relationship with me. And so it leads to all of this kind of externalization of shame and shame comes out in all of these really weird places. And so that's what I've observed. I'm wondering kind of how you see shame in, in the family recovery coaching yeah. realm. Yes, um, all of that. So I agree. Um, in working with families, one of the things that frequently I say is it's okay to feel guilty. Mm. Um, and it's okay for your person to feel guilty about their behaviors, because if their behaviors are hurtful um, to themselves or other people, we should know that they're hurtful to other people. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. And I think as parents, sometimes we feel shame when our kids feel guilty. Um, and that's an important, it's an important lesson. It's a natural consequence of yeah. hurting somebody is yeah. to feel guilt about that. And that's how we learn to do better and to show up better. So guilt and shame sometimes get blurred, yeah. I think. And um, understanding the difference between guilt and shame, I think is super important. Now, shame on the family side of things, um, gosh, when you've got a person who's, um, you know, got a, a, a substance use disorder, there's a lot of going back and thinking, you know, how could I have done this differently? What did I miss? You know, what, what did I do wrong? And there's that piece of the shame. And then there's um, the shame of, who they are and how it's a reflection on you. Yeah. Um, and that's probably, I think that's harder than um, even, you know, could I have shown up differently? Because 
as, as parents, you just sort of, you work through that. Like, you know, I wish my kid didn't fall off his bike and, you know, I could have caught them. And, um, but how is my child or my spouse a reflection on me and carrying that shame? Um, just, I'll, it makes you walk through life silent and pushes everybody out of it, um, which isolates you even more and isolates them even more which is the opposite of what both people need in that environment. Yeah, I think, I think you bring up some good points too that um, what, what I watch parents in particular do and sometimes spouses is when they, they might not even be thinking about it, but it kind of as an as a internal dialogue, I watch parents in particular feeling shame about like, hey, my, my daughter is an alcoholic and I feel like I did something wrong. This is exposing that I feel like I'm a bad mm -hmm. father, I'm a bad mother. And so I'm gonna try to either prevent that from happening or I'm gonna try to prevent other people from knowing about it or I'm just gonna create kind of this high intensity, high pressure world where people can't see that I'm a bad parent because it feels bad when people notice that, mm -hmm. that I made these terrible mistakes and that I'm a bad parent. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, I th and I've watched it really lead to, I think the result of that is parents or other family members becoming really hyper controlling and really af afraid, which usually does lead to control, that fear always leads to control, um, where family members just, um, well, they, they try to just control the behavior instead of kind of letting a person, as you said, kind of walk through their own guilt and all that. Yeah, and in today's world with the social media presence, right? Like, so there's these images that we're supposed to be, and um, I think that the, I mean, nobody has those actual images in their household, and yeah. we all sort of can intellectualize that, but that's all you see. And at key points in development, you know, in people's development, like graduating high school, going to college, getting married, getting a job, picking a career, kind of those transitional times when your child is not meeting those milestones mm -hmm. and, you're, and everyone's putting it out there. It's like, here's all the things that we're doing. We're at the state championships and we're doing graduation and we got these awards and this scholarship and we're doing these great things. And you're just trying to keep your your person's safe. Mm. Um, that's, you know, you feel disappointment, you feel let down, there's all sorts of, and then you feel bad about feeling those things because you're trying to help them. So the shame is just super deep and there, there, it feels like nobody else is going through it. And there's so many people, there's so many people going through it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of reaching out and one of the things that um, about shame is silence just feeds it. Mm. Um, the, the more silent you are, the more that shame continues to talk in your head, like this, you're terrible, this is bad, this, this is a disappointment, this is a shame, this is, this is you're a terrible parent, how, how are you here? And you can't get out of it because there is no connection with somebody else might be actually going through this and can sit with me. Yeah, and that, that is such the trap of shame is that, right, it does say, I, I'm just going to suffer alone. And, and I may have shared this on Finding Peaks once, but I, I've sat in a group with people and, and um, said, I want everybody who feels like they're the worst person in the world to raise their hand. <laughs> and like, 
at least half the group every time raises their hand that they feel that way. And I'm sh it's got to be the same in a lot of families, too, where, like, who feels like they're the best or worst mom or dad in the world, that, that your loved one is dealing with uh, substance use or mental health issues. And I'm sure most of them literally think of the billions of people on planet Earth, they're the worst. Yeah. Um, and I watch it happen all the time. And, and so when somebody's constantly telling themselves that I'm a bad parent and I'm a bad parent, um, that, that usually leads to, honestly, a, a disconnect in the relationship with their person. Yeah. And, and usually uh, a really uncomfortable disconnect. And I wonder how you've seen that in, in your coaching. Yeah, 100%. Um, so the shame involved with substance use is huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, people who um, have the disease of addiction live in shame all the time. They, they feel that they've disappointed everybody and missed all the opportunities, and they're a terrible person. And I, I say this, um, and I'm, I'm sticking to it, I don't think that there's one person in addiction that thinks, oh, I know, this is, this is what I thought would happen. This mm -hmm. is where I thought I, it, this was gonna take me. Um, and so the shame of like, now I'm here and I can't get out is terrible. So when a family feels shame, their person sees it. Mm -hmm. They can see their disconnect. They can see them pouring themselves into work and disconnecting from relationships. They can see unhealthy behaviors that are occurring in the home or with their parents or with their spouse. They can see that relationships are within the household are disjunct and disconnecting because if we connect, then we have to admit that there's something there. Mm -hmm. And, and it, sometimes it just feels easier to stay disconnected. And so I think that that's actually like throwing extra shame onto the person with the problem. Um, and when a family member can identify that shame and sit with it and call it something and ask for help and ask for someone to just be with me in this moment, um, not only does it model to their person that it's okay to ask for help and, and to be vulnerable, but I'm taking you off of my plate. I'm taking your behavior off of my shame platter and just gonna deal with my own stuff and love you separately from the behavior that I feel is causing me shame. Mm. And you and I were talking kind of before we started as well, just about kind of the legacy yeah. of shame, like how, um, how it kind of trickles down, mm -hmm. not even flows down mm -hmm. uh, generation to generation. Um, and I was thinking about that even since we talked about it, um, uh, my wife works a lot with kids with dyslexia, and yeah. oftentimes when you, you can just follow um, really negative educational experiences in families, usually back generations and generations, because probably a lot of those people likely had dyslexia too, so they overcompensated mm -hmm. and felt really in a lot of shame about feeling stupid or, or whatever it might be, and it just gets past, all that pressure kind of just passes down generation to generation. And it does take finally somebody to dig their yeah. heels in and say, hey, we gotta stop this yeah. uh, transmission of shame um, from, from one family to, uh, generation to the next. Yeah, talk, yeah. speak to that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's so big. And you know, the, the idea of how do we, how do we fix this problem? How, how do we continue to have um, you know, the number of people falling into mm -hmm. substance use that we have, I mean, the numbers just keep getting bigger exponentially. 
And I don't have the answer to all the questions. I think, you know, that's, a, that's deep. But um, one thing that I have been thinking about recently is what's my piece in it as a family member? Well, my piece is speaking it and, and stopping it today. So in order to do that, I've got to kind of admit to my own shame and, and sit with that for a second. But um, if families can, I, I was you know, using the example of we're, we're pulling people out of the river and they're coming down and it's like rapids coming down and there's just so many people needing help um, and there's just not enough, there's not enough help um, in enough time. So if, if we can go up the river a little bit um, as a family and, and speak what we feel and what, what we fear and, and what we are disappointed in and what we need a little bit further up the river, maybe that person who's struggling can reach out to us and we can pull them out before they get further. Or maybe they can even grab onto a, um, you know, a stick or something that's hanging and they can get themselves out because they see how we're dealing with our own, um, our own shame. Mm -hmm. um, and that will stop the generational passing of it. I mean, when, when you were talking earlier about, um, you know, especially families that are high functioning and, and doing really well um, socioeconomically, it's like, we aren't those people. Um, I, I think I probably said that. We aren't those people. Mm. Um, I don't know if I said those exact words, yeah. but I, I definitely gave that image. How, um, how is that a shame message, Yeah, I, that's terrible. We yeah. aren't those people. Well, Okay, well, yeah, we are, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that's just saying that, you know, that's something that, that lesser people do. Mm. And if you're doing that, then you're a lesser person. Um, and that's just not how addiction works. It just, you know, it, it, it knows no boundaries. I mean, yeah. it just, it, it'll get anybody. So, um, you know, being able to say, well, maybe we are those people. And I was telling you, I, I have this analogy. When I was a kid, because um, I'm old, um, there used to be high dives at swimming pools. Yeah. Yeah. So there used to be the, high dives. The good old days. The good old days. Yeah. Not only are there not high dives, but I don't even think there's diving boards in most places. But there used to be high dives, right? And I've always had this, like, one, desire for adventure and um, thrill, um, and two, a fear of heights. So I would go to the swimming pool. I hung out at the swimming pool a lot, and I would many times walk up the ladder and then you you know everyone has to wait at the bottom with the high dive right yeah. and because sometimes you have to come back down yeah. the ladder that's probably why they took the walk out. of shame, yeah, like walk come of shame <laughs> coming back and yeah. having to go down the ladder like i'm not going off the high dive yeah. so i did that enough times but i loved it i, I actually really loved the high dive but i was afraid of it as well so i did it enough times that what i developed was this watch mentality so i would stand and I would watch for a while and then I'd go play and come back and stand and watch. All these kids going off the high dive and I would just watch and watch and watch. And then finally, after watching enough kids go off the high dive, I'd say, they all did that. I think I, think I can do that. I think I'm ready to do that too. And I'd go up the high dive and sometimes it was scary, but I would go off the high dive because I knew they were okay. They went off the high dive, they, everyone was okay and they seemed to like it. So I'm going to do it too. And I think that really similarly with shame like gosh if you speak it mm. other people are watching yeah. someone else might be watching and and they might not even tell you but 
in their head they're going, oh, me too, me too, this is, this is my story too. And because you spoke it, because you sat with it and you dealt with it, um, and I saw that you, you got through it, um, I, can, I can say it too and we can get better. And that's how you stop kind of that generational passing. Because I, I really do think that um, you know, our culture and our society has just become one of putting out an image that is unreachable. And um, that's not helping us. No. <laughs> and it's exponentially making that sense of shame in people stay longer. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so just to, <coughs> excuse me, to pivot just as we end here, um, could you kind of talk about Reclaim and Recover and what yeah. it is you do specifically and how uh, you maybe combat family shame yeah. uh, day to day? Yeah. yeah, we address shame every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that was in my tagline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, so I work with families. I'm a certified family recovery coach. I work with families um, in various stages of um, loving somebody in the disease of addiction. Um, so sometimes that's people who, um, you know, their person is in active use and they're, they're trying to help them and they're trying to um, just kind of get their life back and, and live their life as opposed to surviving it because that's what it feels like sometimes. Mm. That process can be so long. Um, I work with, with families whose loved ones in early recovery, working on that transitional approach and really changing the patterns that infiltrated the system when the illness kind of came into the family and how those patterns didn't don't serve any of us anymore. So let's change let's change the patterns, let's change our perspective, let's change our mentality and communication. Um, and then um, yeah, so it's it's kind of twofold working on the, the family members, really learning how to show up the way that they want to show up, how to establish boundaries in the way that boundaries are effective, um, and um, learn how to communicate with their person and release maybe some of the control that was developed over the course of the addiction. Um, and then sometimes it's also just doing some triage and kind of helping families figure out how do I get my person into treatment? How do I invite them to get help? How do I connect with them? while they're in active use so that their journey is honored um, regardless of the outcome. And um, that's what I do. Awesome. What I really, it, it, I just wanna tell you, I just think the way that you think about and talk about families you work with is so filled with uh, empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. um, I'm confident that the work you're doing is really helping to alleviate a lot of that shame that families have to walk through uh, in early recovery, and Thanks. it's a gift, mm -hmm. and um, I, I've really enjoyed working with you, you. Um, here at Peaks. So uh, with that, um, I'm, we're going to sign off today on this episode of Finding Peaks. Um, I invite you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, I don't know, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, the Apple Store. Um, anyway, have a good one, and uh, we'll see you in a week.